מרגישים קיץ באוויר. כבר עשרים שנה. מרגישים קיץ באוויר. כל רמה. כל רמה מאה ושתיים שלוש. מרגישים קיץ באוויר. Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malaman of the Highland Park Conservative Temple, joining a congregation at Janet, joining me, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City. It's great to see you. We have such an amazing Parsha. But before we start, thank you, Camp Ramah, Machanem Ramah, and the Berkshires for hosting us. And we want to say hello to all of our good friends, all our Chanichim, the entire Machanem. We thank you for listening and for sharing this time of Torah with you. This is an amazing Parsha Va'et Hanan. I, we could talk about every single verse for an hour in this Parsha, but from the beginning, I want to help understand the emotional pathos, the depth, the feeling around the first verse of the Parsha, from which the Parsha gets its name, Va'et Hanan. Moses says, I pleaded, I beseeched you, I begged you. Barry Chester, can you take us into the soul of Moses? What does he want? What is he not going to get? And how do you live with that? So, well, it's easy for me to live with it. I'm not Moshe. But I think that what... Moses is coming to terms with the idea that he's speaking to the people and before the people. And in a sense, he's not going to move from the place that he speaks. At the end of the book, he's going to climb the mountain for his last view of Eretz Yisrael, but he does not get to cross over. And I think that we can imagine Moses, who's been shepherding the people for 40 years, wondering if they would ever get to this moment when they're about to cross over. And he realizes that, yes, indeed, we have gotten to that moment, but you, B'nai Israel, you're going to cross over, and I am not. And there is extraordinary pathos. We like to describe Moshe not only as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher, but as the greatest Jew who ever lived, that he spoke to God, panim el panim, and what could be better than that? And B'nai Yisrael, for all their difficulties, are a difficult people. They are sinners. They are not a perfect people. And with all their imperfections, they are going to cross over the Jordan under Joshua and not under Moshe. And Moshe wants to say to God in idiomatic modern Hebrew, Zelofer, this is not right. And so, and so... And, He has to come to terms with that, and it's not easy, but I think that as he talks and talks and talks, he will come to terms with it. And he becomes, I think, for us, a very human Moshe, one that we can emulate. Jeremy, can you, I want you to react to Vayita Ber Adonai Bi Laman Chem Velo Shama Eli. I mean, can you get into the man's soul here? 
He didn't hear me. God didn't hear me. Well, I thought you were asking about the, the God was angry at me because of you. Yeah. Uh, that, that is also a, uh, that's also, a, that takes a little work, I think, from my perspective, because um, <laughs> so at, at the one hand, <laughs> um, at the one hand, you know, I think that leaders are responsible for the communities they create, right? So at one level, this is, this is a reflection of Moshe as, as the leader who took these people from Egypt with God's guidance. And when they have the failure of nerve at the spies episode, um, and when they have the complaining, you know, at some level, maybe God is mad at Moshe for having, you know, been you're, like the, the, the team doesn't perform well in the playoffs. The coach gets fired because like uh, what's what's you, 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 you were supposed to prepare them for this moment. But I have to say, I don't I don't in a religion where we have uh, sometimes drawn a contrast between ourselves and Christianity, that the Catholic priests are a kind of intermediary. We we don't really like that. We like to see each person you know, passes before God, keep name my Rome, one by one by one by one by one. And so God being mad at one human being for the actions of other human beings, uh, is that <laughs> at, at some level? So, uh, but I, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to reflect on part of the tragedy of Moshe's, you know, non-arriving, and the way we were talking about before we started recording the show, is that uh, the book does not... The Torah in general, but maybe maybe Dvarim in particular, um, does not uh, think that Torah is an intellectual exercise. It thinks it's a social, practical exercise. I'm trying to teach you how to behave. And several times in the course of the parasha, the, um, the stress is, I'm teaching you, I, I'm imparting all this stuff, I am giving you the mitzvot, so that you will do them when you reach the land. Um, uh, I'm going to pick up just one thing. Chapter 4, verse 14. God commanded me to impart to you laws and rules for you to observe in the land you are about to cross over and occupy. And if Moshe is never going to um, to reach the land, then there is an incompleteness to his own full Jew, Jewish life because he doesn't, whether we're talking about specific mitzvot that are tied to the temple or specific mitzvot that are tied to to agricultural stuff that, that is in Eretz Yisrael, um, there is just something sort of fundamentally abstracted and never practiced in Moshe Rabbeinu of all people. And that's that can really hit you in the heart. So so then let me just want to take the, the end part of this opening paragraph, which is God says, Rav Lach, enough. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Don't talk to me about this anymore. But go up to the summit of the mountain, and look, cast your eyes to the sea, to the north, to the south, and to the east. See with your own eyes, you will not pass through the Jordan. Is that enough of a consolation? I mean, what you said just now, Jeremy, which is he cannot fulfill it in his, with his life and his body. But he gets to see it. So, so is that enough? Is oh, that... it could be. It could be the exact opposite. Yeah. It could be the exact opposite. Do you see? Do you see this wonderful meal? I am going to place before you on the table ta'aroch lefanai shulchan. I am going to place before you this wonderful meal on this table. I'm going to show you a vision of life as it could be. And now you have to go home. 
Uh, like it could be, it could be tantalizing and, you know, maybe Moshe, like the, the best of us would, the, the best impulses in a human being would say, my children are having something and it's okay that I don't have it. My students are having something. It's okay that I don't have it, but I, I'm just like matching Moses. Well, uh, so, so there's some, there's something we well, said. I want to ask something here. Okay, what's it? Something we said for, look, I, you know, I don't get it. And, and, but, but, you know, it's like, it's like, exactly. It's like the, my, my Jewish, you know, here, it's for you. Here, it's for you. I don't know. Gary, you were going to say something. So, I want to add something here. I, you know, the line in Pirkevot is who Asher who is a wealthy one, the one who is happy with his portion. And this is Moshe's portion. And what struck me just thinking about this a moment ago is that Moses dies as a Levite. And it says about the Levites, Adonai Hu Nachlatam. The land is not your inheritance, Moshe. God is your inheritance. And Moses is going to die with God. Than the Shikat Mavet, the kiss of death, and that has to be enough. Barry, I love that, and I, I will I will confess something about you know maybe my own congregants won't uh, take this the wrong way. Um, in the in the Shabbat Amidah and Shacharit, we say Yismach Moshe b'Madnat Chelko ki Eved Neman Karatalo, and when I'm Davening that sometimes, and I think like that we have hard jobs. Um, being a, a shul rabbi can be a hard job, and I take great, um, great. I really love davening that line. It's very. I find it very inspiring. It keeps me going to say, uh, Moshe was Eved Neeman, like the faithful servant. And sometimes he didn't want to do it, and sometimes it stunk, and sometimes there were you know he wanted to run away and you have another job. Uh, maybe he wanted to remain a shepherd all his life, but he was Ebed Naaman and he did it with happiness. And so sometimes when I myself feel like uh, uh, frustrated, the davening of Yismach Moshe Nat Chalkoki, Ebed Naaman, being a faithful servant is a great thing to be. So, so the, the phrase Adonai Hu Nachalatam is also in El Malay Rachamim. I mean, I would say quite regularly, the Lord is his portion, the Lord is her portion. May she rest in peace and will you say amen. So I, you know, Judaism does a little kind of sleight of hand there because what it does, you know, what you said is that for the Levites, God is their portion, but our sleight of hand is we've made God the portion of everyone. Okay. So let's pivot now, speaking of pivots and sleight of hand, chapter four, verse one, really. I, so I'm going to take a different approach to it, which is I, I, as much as I want Moshe to be uh, joyful and uh, happy with his lot, I think he's really um, upset at this. And he doesn't cease to remind the people almost every turn, you're going into the land and I'm not going into the land. But, but he's got to come to terms with it. And chapter four, verse one, I think represents a whole shift in, in the book. Um, because what we are seeing, and Jeremy, you alighted on this, is that the, the book is going to turn to the theme of teaching. Uh, we did a little bit of uh, lexicographical analysis of the word lamed, limud, and all of its different uh, permutations. Uh, Jeremy, what did we discover? <laughs> we discovered that that root, lamed memdalet, and its various and its various uh, verb patterns, which can mean to study or very commonly to teach, does not appear even one time in Genesis, in Exodus, in, in Leviticus, in Numbers. 
and it appears all the time in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, and a good number of times in Jeremiah, which is often very close to to um, to, to Devarim, and then a lot of times in Psalms. So the picture of Moshe as the teacher, I have been I have been called to teach you these things, and by the way. Um, you are going to teach them to your own children. You're going to repeat this pattern. This is a very characteristic uh, religious theme of our book of Deuteronomy. When, when, when a word never appears in another book, but appears a bunch of times in this one, you feel like you are getting um, a, uh, you feel like it's revealed to you a, uh, a, a vivid picture of the spirituality of this book. It is so that you learn things. It is so that you are shaped by what you, by what you do. You get, you get, uh, you get education and, and you are shaped and fit for the task of actually living this stuff out. So Moses Moses really emerges here as the, the teacher par excellence. And, and we, we touched on that earlier last week with Hoyel Moshe, the Be'er of the Torah. Moses functions as the, as the teacher. Dvarim then imprints something onto Judaism, what will later become Judaism. I mean, this, this would be something worthy of, of consideration, which is how much of Judaism really is caught up with the idea of learning and that the, the centrality of learning, is that, do you, do you find that sourced here in Dvarim? I know Barry, you want to try and- uh, Yeah, you know, what you said so beautifully, Jeremy, reminds me that Moses becomes a teacher in Dvarim because he actually reinvents himself. For the last three books, he has been the shepherd with his flock um, through the vicissitudes of their journey. But now in his end days, he sees his role as being somewhat different. And we can't imagine the flock without a shepherd, but the purpose of teaching is to impart something to the new generation that they're gonna take with them. And perhaps it's Moses's recognition that he has made some peace with not going over with B'nai Israel because he's going to teach them so that they can succeed where he cannot go. And what I wanted to add to what you said, Elliot, is that there's a fine line between teaching and learning. Learning seems to be what we take in. Teaching is what we express outward. And we have to find that balance because life as we know it goes from one generation to the next. And we're here for our, our 70 years in the words of the psalmist, however many it will be. And we have to not only take in for ourselves, but we have to prepare the next generation as well. And that's what will keep the Jewish people alive. Okay. Two so, points about this. Go ahead. One that um, uh, extremely well said by, by the one of us who, who works in a school. <laughs> uh, I, I want to just note that the tefillah, strongly reinforces this in the bracha before the Shema, we, you know, ten bilibenu lahavinu lahaskil lishmoa lilmod ulilamed. You have to absorb something and you have to be a link in the chain that imparts it to other people as well. Lilmod, you study it. Ulilamed, that's the transitive verb, you impart it to someone else. And I also think, by the way, on a, like, social practice of Judaism level, um, I, I feel like I really like davening, but I, I recognize that the, you know, religious, spiritual, theological uh, premises of davening can sometimes be a heavy lift for 21st century people. Um, 
and and prayer is is I think works for a smaller percentage of our people than than perhaps it once did, and learning I think actually works for a larger percentage of our population. Um, just yesterday I was meeting with a congregant who uh, does Hebrew's not great and they, uh, finds the services a little bit dense and mystifying, and I said, well, come to Parsha class, you know, because I think that everybody um, uh, everybody who uh, you know attends attends my partial class attends your partial classes they 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 have different amounts of you know different quantities of hebrew and different quantities of jewish learning but they're engaged and they're smart and they can ask questions and they can and share their own thoughts and i think learning is really a great strategic uh, arena for us as modern jews well it wasn't only for modern jews i mean we you know this is something that already imprinted on judaism from 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 the beginning, from pr prior to the rabbinic era, you know, and and yeah, what greater thing to do than to to study? What greater thing to do than to to listen or watch Parsha talk? I mean, we we connected kulam. It's and it's we're saying this as as not only as people who are engaged in it. It there is a worshipful aspect to to learning. I mean, we do it almost in a liturgical way. We do it. You know, not only to deepen ourselves, but also as a as a form of, of service, um, and and as a form of you know transformation, which which is really, I think, one of the religious goals of, of Judaism altogether. You're always in the process of, of formation. I, mean, I I would like you to react to to Moses's characterization of the people, uh, because up until now we've we've had a rather stern. Uh, you know, characterization of the people. He even referred to the previous generation as Ador Hara, the evil generation. But now he says, if you take a look at chapter four, verse uh, verse five or six, Ushmartem basitem, do the mitzvot, kihi chachmatchem uvinachem, it's your wisdom, it's your knowledge, before all the peoples. And then I'm going to skip, rak am chacham venavon hagoy hagadol hazeh. They're going to say this is just a, a wise and you know brilliant people, and and you know here again I mean this is this is this is different. This is a different tone. This is it's a key. It's a major key for Moses. I don't. And and then it goes on. You know you're great. You're really you're really a good. There's something special about you that you have this um, this aptitude and this connection and this valence towards God. I mean, this culture, I mean, the Torah, the Torah is portrayed as imparting the, uh, the, those characteristics. It's, it's because you have such a great law that other nations will say, wow, these people must be very, you know, wise and wise and brilliant because wise and understanding because it's manifest in their way of life, which is the way of life of the Torah itself. Uh, the Torah therefore shapes their personalities and cultivates their virtues. Later on, by the way, in the Parsha, it'll say, I think almost at the very, very end of the Parsha, um, uh, it's not because you're the biggest people, because you are the smallest people. So we get a quality, not quantity, theme here among our little our little jewish people uh, yeah so so and and moses then goes into recounting the sinai so the, the recounting of the sinai experience god is speaking out of the fire 
kol dvarim atem shomim. You're hearing the voice of the words, you're not seeing a picture. I, can you reflect on this, Barry? You want to just reflect on sound versus sight in terms of its uh, experience and formation of your ideas? So I think for most of us, sight is the most important sense. It's the way that we navigate through the world. And obviously, blind people have to learn how to navigate very differently than we do. But I think there's an important difference between sight and hearing in that when we see something, either we see it or we don't. With hearing, it opens up an imagination for us of how we understand what it is that we actually hear. And as is well known, Devarim is going to de-anthropomorphize God. It does not like images of God. And we have a few examples here, not only in the Ten Commandments, which come later in the Parsha, but also at the beginning, that we can't have a picture of God. And here that we're only going to hear, the only thing we can see is a voice, which you know reminds me of one of those uh, Buddhist koans, like the sound of one hand clapping. How do we actually hear, see a voice? But it's very important for us that we strive to hear the voice of God rather than look to see God. And you know, I was thinking there's a concept in the rabbinic literature of Re'iyah, where the Israelite or the Jew by then, we go to the temple and actually see God in some of the Talmudic imagination. But for us, I think it's not about seeing God, it's about hearing God and about listening to God. And that provides a very different avenue to having a relationship with God. So, so Jeremy, I'll pick, the, pick up on nearly sight. I want to pick up on this idea of, of, of sound, seeing, hearing, and, and, and how, how do you translate this into, into our experience and to, you know, the Jew's life? Well, by the way, I just, I just want to point out to our listeners that there's a really famous verse in the parasha, <laughs> really, really famous verse in the parasha that is related to sound. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Moses says to the people, hear, O Israel. Uh, you know, the, he, we have other, we, we do have other. Re'eh, ani noten lifnechem ayom bracha uklala. We have, see, I place before you blessing and, and uh, curse. But here Moses says, hear. Here, in this section, Moses says, hear. Um, the teaching of the uniqueness and the oneness of God. Um, I, I love what Barry said about the possibility of imagination and and the way it says um, that you heard kol devarim, the sound of words, uh, th that even, I think, um, creates the, the vibe of an echo. Like, you don't hear things directly. And this, by the way, is obviously true physically as well. You are hearing the, the bouncing of, uh, you know, sound waves through the air that that enables you to hear things, um, you're hearing an echo of a reality and you have to interpret it. Uh, I love the, the, what you said about the imaginative quality. I suppose you can, you can um, interpret your visions as well, but the Torah, certainly the book of Deuteronomy is very, very, very suspicious of this sense of sight uh, because it thinks it will, you know, if you like looking at stuff, you're going to like looking at statues. You're going to like, um, you know, the, at the beginning of the Parsha, it says, when you get exiled, 
as you will, because you will be unfaithful. Uh, there you're going to worship foreign gods, Masa Adam, Eitzba Evan. You're going to worship those physical manifestations in wood and stone. And that's a bad way to go. So I think that the theology of Deuteronomy stresses that you can hear ideas, hear content, con, con, uh, concepts, that you can hear a teaching and you can internalize it in a way that doesn't, doesn't draw you after the kind of seductions of a visual experience, which Deuteronomy thinks is almost always going to end up as an idol. I think it's such a powerful idea, you know, and I think we, we, it's almost as if we are living through the dichotomy of, of the visual experience and the sound or oral experience, especially, you know, during the pandemic, where, where so much of our lives has become oriented toward the visual. I mean, I, I know even in my own teaching, you know, how in teaching on Zoom, I have to be more visual. I have to provide, you know, visual cues. And, and I think the reason is because we're just so more uh, in tune or, or it, the human being just gravitates to, to sight before sound. And yet, as both of you are saying, sound captures the imagination. I mean, before there was television, there was the radio. Um, and I, I the, the, there was a whole generation, couple of generations raised on the radio that had that lived with the imagination, the imaginative experience of you know the the great radio shows um, that played out in their mind. I, I can still remember listening to hockey games on the radio and and, and uh, as a kid and going, uh, they're saying it's Montreal or Toronto. Montreal's on the right hand of your dial, and Toronto's on the left. <laughs> and imagining you know the and and it's. The, the idea that you can listen to something and open up your imagination is is uh, is not a new experience, but the visual is the new experience. The the intense visual experience, and 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 we know how difficult it is. And and I think part of the reason why you know we experience so many challenges in our time religiously is because uh, the sound makes demands on the imagination and we're just not cultivated in that way. I don't know. I think that's, that's really quite, that's really quite spectacular. Um, and I just makes me think about, I mean, I'm not a podcast person, yeah. uh, but it makes me think that the return of pod, like the, 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 the success of podcasting as a medium, I wonder if that's gonna, gonna alter some of the stuff that you're talking about, that we're gonna get back that kind of experience. I hope so. All right. So, so uh, the parsha includes um, the Aserta, the brought the Ten Commandments or the Ten Precepts. God's uh, the the uh, a, a reorientation to that great moment. Moshe feels that he, you know he's got to he's got to remind people of what they heard and saw, um, and and so that this generation will go into the land with that. Let's take a, a couple of moments as, as we're running out of time here. Shema Yisrael. So, so we got to talk about the Shema. And we got to talk about, you know, Ki Shalcha bin Chamachar. And we got to talk about so many things. We don't have time. Hero Israel. Um, what? And we didn't get a chance to really talk about this before, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Um, give, me, give me something on that, Jeremy, <laughs> love the Lord. You gotta love God 
with all your with all your I mean I let's let's just uh, return to the Mishnah then um, the Mishnah with a, with an act of what we call midrash halacha expounding each word in the Torah with a with a particular um, you know explanation or or uh, a little kavana love the Lord your God with all your heart and it, the the Mishnah notes that. It doesn't say libcha, it says levavcha. The repetition of the letter bet means both your good inclination and your bad inclination. You have within you your your best self and you have your your worst instincts. And and the trick of a full, comprehensive, 360-degree, whole-person love of God involves both you at your best and you are not at your best. Uvechol nafshecha, with all of your soul. Uh, nefesh in biblical Hebrew really means life, not not soul in the sense of, body opposed to soul, but with all your life, even at the moment that God takes your life. And this is our famous story about Rabbi Akiva, who recites the Shema as he is, um, as he is being tortured to death. Even at the moment where you have to surrender your life, uh, you should still be oriented towards loving God. And all of your muchness, which is really, it's really kind of hard to, uh, to translate that in a, in a simple way. We, we always go with all your might, but the rabbis give us two alternative, um, Two alternative word plays um, uh, to uh, to explain loving God with all your might is your all your meod is with all your money, all your property. Use your property as an agent of spreading love for God throughout the world. Or, and this goes back to perhaps our discussion about Moses, uh, whatever happens to you, sometimes good stuff's going to happen to you, and sometimes bad stuff's going to happen to you. Sometimes you're going to get what you want, and sometimes you're not going to get what you want. Even when, uh, no, no matter which of those roads you're traveling down, you can find some way to love God. And I would just say that that last one, you know, I, I find that tremendously moving. Um, I think that at, at some level, each of us, our spiritual task is to love God and love your life and love the world and say yes to the world and be a positive person um, uh, despite our pain. Every one of us has suffering. Every one of us has pain. Every one of us has loss and every one of us gets sick and and uh, every one of us feels lonely or disappointed or whatever. Um, and those things can, you know, they can squeeze out um, our love and they can make us bitter. And it's our job as spiritual human beings, as good, ethical, virtuous human beings to resist that and try to love and try to be uh, affirmative for, for God and for the world and for our own lives, despite our pain. Harry, what, what what do you meditate on? What 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 are these words? I think that? what comes to mind for me, the, there are two other commandments in the Torah to love. One is to love your neighbor as yourself, and another and the the, the other one is to love the stranger in your midst. And what do both the neighbor and the stranger in your midst have is that they are near to you. There are intimate relations. You can't love someone from afar. Um, at least in terms of these commandments. And I think that what those commandments are supposed to remind us when we get to the Vyahafta is that we have to create for ourselves an intimate relationship with God. That what it is a summons is to actually approach God as we would another human being with, with love, to open ourselves to God's voice so that we can hear it. And so it's a call, I think, for a kind of spiritual intimacy. And, you know, when we think of spiritual intimacy, of course, I think we always come back to Moses, who is described as speaking to God, panim al panim, face to face. We're not going to get that, but we can have 
the echo or the word of God that's reverberating within us and our actions can lead us to God as well. You know, I, th I think about this sometimes, and, and of course, you know, uh, hearing what you said, Jeremy, the, the task of, of a human being to love God, it's not, so, it's not so easy to love God, especially when you experience suffering, and especially when we understand love, I guess, in, in you know, the English language, um, you know, in, in a more, you know, with the confusion of the romantic idea which love connotes, um, that maybe that there is a, a hint of you should be loyal. That is loyalty to God, which is an expression of love, and that that loyalty to God, which is a manifestation of a deep love, is with the entirety of your being, which is what you said, which I think is is the Torah's way of saying with, with every single thing you've got. Your loyalty to God transcends everything and it involves everything, even your life, as, as you said, uh, which, is, which is an idea that is really very difficult for, you know, us, a, a modern person, 2021 20, living here, is a, what are you going to put your, your life on the line for? Are you going to, is your loyalty to God going to be something that demands your entire life, even to the point of, of risking your life? And, and we're, we're seeing here that Dvarim, Moshe, God, that's what it's asking. It's, it's, it's asking you for, you're all in, the totality of your being. And not only that, but teach it and transmit it at the limits of your consciousness all the day. Every waking moment is uh, a moment that is involved with this idea and transmission. And surround yourself with this. It's got to be at the limits of your consciousness. It's got to be everywhere. I, that idea that something would captivate the totality of your being, I think is, is, is just a difficult concept for, for a modern person to handle. There's so many facets to our life, Barry. I think one of the reasons why it's difficult is because we often associate it with perfection. Yeah. Those of us who are fortunate to have experienced human love know that the person that we love is not perfect, nor are we perfect in our love. And, you know, I was reminded when Jeremy was talking that the same is true of God. Our relationship with God is imperfect, but when we love someone, we don't let the imperfections stand in the way of our love. Rather, we work, we look for ways that we can incorporate that into our loving relationship. I think that's a, that's a, such a, a deep idea, a deep thing to, to think about that, that, you know, this, paragraph which we recite all the time you know morning and night and before we go to bed um and you know we, we recite it by rote and don't give it as much attention as we need to give it this is about becoming this is about loyal this is about love this is about the totality of who we are and and about co continually striving striving to be something more as we are striving to be something more with you as we share Torah every week. We are so thankful to you for the opportunity, the privilege of entering your homes, your minds, and to our friends at Machanarama to enter the, the airwaves at Machanarama. We have a whole community of listeners that we are so, so thankful for, for your time. And we want to say Shabbat Shalom to everyone. And see you next week on another edition of Marsha Talk. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.